Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Excited about the messages. Uh, in case you didn't pick one up, there is a workbook absolutely free out there. This is workbook number two. Uh, workbook number three is on the way, and it'll be the final one in this particular series. Um, I get that this workbook is more extensive. We can't cover all of this in, in the messages, uh, but for those of you that like to study, uh, it's probably about a 10-minute, may, maybe not quite 10 minutes if you just want to read it through. It's very comprehensive. You'll, it should be easy to understand. If you want to study, it's going to take you longer than that, but you have a lot of different scriptures you can turn to uh, to support kind of the, uh, the premise that's being laid out. But this morning, we're, we're in our third lesson uh, of workbook number two. And we're going to talk this morning about... Uh, the Bible lays out for us three essential baptisms and what that is and what, well, why these are so important. Let me kind of remind you where, where we've come from. Workbook number one, we took four different lessons and we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's really important because lots of people, you know, they get all caught up in the controversy over the power of the Holy Spirit and some specific things like speaking in tongues and, and they get so sidetracked, they never come back and understand who the person of the Holy Spirit is, but it's important that you understand who the person is because that's where our relationship is founded. And once you understand the person of the Holy Spirit, then you can begin to understand the power of the Holy Spirit because the power or the strength, the might of the Holy Spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit. And so if you understand who he is, then it's easy to understand the power. Otherwise, you're liable to start looking at power and begin to refer to it as an it or, or think about it as a thing or an experience, and it's not. It's always a person. And so we looked in the first book about the person, but in workbook number two, we came into the power. And we begin looking, uh, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? And Romans chapter one gives us the ability to compare it to some things that we understand about power. So we did that to help balance our thinking. And then last week, we talked about some of the safety valves. The Bible gives us three power gauges, Three kind of your dashboard indicators to know when you're dealing with, with spiritual power of any sort to be able to know whether this is the power of God and whether this is moving in the right direction. And it's important that we understand that. Pretty basic. You don't have to be a theologian for any of this stuff. In fact, like we live in our everyday life, once you get a framework, it all makes sense. And, uh, and you can just begin to move and allow the Holy Spirit to help you. Well, today... We're going to focus on the fact that when it comes to our spiritual life, God doesn't just want us to get saved and then grow older in the Lord. God actually wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. He wants us to become more and more understanding in how the kingdom works. I don't say this as an indictment, but it's kind of shocking if you think about it. Uh, try to think of anything else that has weighty, weighty value. Let's just take an occupation. Let's say someone is a brick mason, and they've been laying bricks for, you know, 25 years, and, uh, and, and so the, the boss comes up and says, hey, listen, we got this brand new kind of an apprentice, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know how to do anything, and thought I'd put him next to you so you could show him how to lay bricks. 
And what if that brick, brick mason that's been doing this for 25 years said, oh, don't, don't put him by me. I don't, I don't know how to tell anybody to, 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 to lay bricks. You've been doing this for 25 years. You don't think that you even understand the basic mechanics of how to, how to you know, build a nice wall, a good solid wall? And, and, and that would just be you know, ludicrous for, for us to understand that because that's just obvious, right? But it's interesting to take that same concept over to Christianity, there's a lot of Christians been serving the Lord for 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, and you say, hey, would you be able to connect with this person and help them to know how to get saved? Oh, don't, you better talk to the pastor, don't talk to me. What? We're supposed to be growing and maturing. We really are. This is not just kind of poetic language. From God's point of view, we really are ambassadors, royal representatives of this great kingdom of God that are supposed to be at least getting the, the basic framework so that we can be light in a dark world, salt in a world, and help people to understand. Not that everybody's going to be a theologian. Not that everybody has to dive in deep, and that, that's not the point. But at least be able to understand some of the frameworks. And that's what we're going to look at today, because God is so passionate, as any father would be, for his children to at least have a basic framework of how life works, life in the kingdom where the Father's concerned, but to at least have a basic framework of how life works so that we can keep moving forward. And if you brought a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 6, because in Hebrews chapter 6, the author gives us a list of six short, fundamental, but essential things that we need to understand in order to be able to, to kind of, you know, frame in the kingdom and how, how to live in the kingdom and to be able to move forward. And one of the things on that list is baptisms, plural, baptisms. And so we're going to look at today and say, what does that actually mean? And why is this really important that we understand this? But let me kind of back up and open with a question. I'm coming back to the the brick mason guy about growing. And this is rhetorical, okay? But let it sink in. No condemnation. That's not what this is about ever. Remember Romans chapter 8 says, once you're born again, don't ever, 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 ever entertain anything that condemns you. Anything that makes you feel, you know, bad or makes you feel like God doesn't care about you and kind of makes you want to slink away from God, that's condemnation. However, the Holy Spirit's job uh, in the life of a Christian is to convict is to convince us, that's kind of an easier word to swallow, to convince us that there's more, that God wants to do something to grow us up. And so along that line of thinking, let me just ask you this. this when's the last time, and, and, and seriously, try, try to think of something. It can be something small or something big. When's the last time that you've experienced any real transformation and growth in your life? Not talking about inspiration. Not even talking about motivation. When's the last time that you can look in any area of your life and something was literally changed and never went back to the same? For the good. <clears throat> and it's something we should be asking ourselves because we, we can get on this trajectory and, you know, some days are a little happier than others and other, other times we're going through a tough season, but then the Lord helps us out of it. And, and that's great, right? That's all inspiration. That's all happiness. That's all uh, the ease of the journey. And, and that's all great. But if we're not careful, we can walk a road for a long time only to come to grips with the fact that we might just be walking in a circle. We're not climbing. We're not growing. We're not maturing. 
We're not being stretched for the kingdom of God. And yet, in our natural lives, if we look at our children and we see them, see them in a rut, man, we start praying, we start coaching, we start encouraging. We might even nudge them and push them and say, come on, come on, you got to grow. We don't want them to stay at the same place for the rest of their life, just going through the same routine, because life has to be on a growth Life has to be stretching, otherwise you lose your zest, you lose your vision, you lose all the mechanics inside that lets things fire off for adventure and you're ready to rise to the challenge and then you're ready to lock in for the long haul and then you're ready to celebrate the victory until you find your next challenge. That, that's what life is all about. And that's the same thing that's true in the kingdom. But if we're not careful, we, we kind of just you know include God as a little part of our inspirational life, and we don't really take this serious enough to think, well, there's actual growth. But I'm, I'm telling you what we're going to learn this morning. God is very concerned about that because out of your spiritual growth comes every other thing in your life. Everything in your life is, is stemmed from and connected to your spiritual growth. That's what Proverbs chapter 4 tells you about. Pay attention to what's going on in the core of who you are in your spirit because out of that flows every other issue of your life. So listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. The author here is speaking to us, uh, again, about this growth continuum. By the way, if you want to turn in your workbook, we're on page 32 and under the title, Moving Towards Maturity, so you can kind of follow along and take some notes if you want to. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. I could say it this way. Let's not keep talking about the ABCs. And it doesn't mean we leave them and we never think about them. It's that we learn them, and now we use the ABCs to keep growing. So when you were in preschool and kindergarten, you started learning the ABCs. But when you got in first grade, it wasn't just a rehearsal of the ABCs all over again. You started learning to connect a few of these letters together. Hey, that actually makes a word. What if I could make like three words that all connected together and that made a sentence? What if I could connect sentences together and that made a paragraph? What if paragraphs could connect together and I could actually articulate something that, was, that, that I experienced was going on? I could tell a story and so on and so forth. That's growth. But here the author is saying, hey, here's an idea. Let's not keep going over the ABCs over, all over again. Let's not just keep learning them over and over. Why don't we lock into these things and say, we got it. We got the ABCs. Let's move on to the next thing. He says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That word actually is a word that means maturity everywhere else in the New Testament. Not laying again, the, and he's going to give now six fundamental things. So again, if you're in kindergarten... Uh, ABCs might be one, the next might be your numbers, the next might be your colors, and these are fundamental foundations that you have to lock into so you can keep growing and going. We have these in the New Testament. He says, not laying again, and he's going to give six of them. Number one, the foundation of repentance from dead works. Number two, and of faith towards God. Number three, and of the doctrine of baptisms. That's what we're going to talk about today. Number four, the laying on of hands. Number five, of the resurrection of the dead. And number six, of eternal judgment. And listen to this last statement in verse three. And this we will do if God permits. So, this is so important because he's exhorting the readers, listen, whatever you do, don't stay in preschool. Nobody likes to be in preschool. But I'm telling you, there's Christians that get so excited about the noodle art, 
so excited about, look at all the fun finger painting and all the fun colors, that it's all about the experience for them. All they want to do is just more experience, more experience, more experience, whatever just feels good and warm and fuzzy, but they stay in the ABCs because they don't understand that God wants us to grow. God wants us to have other experiences that will require more understanding and more knowledge, not saying everybody's a theologian, but to come back and just begin to grow up and understand. We get this in in natural life, but in spiritual life, the author is really urging and trying to help them to understand that there are a set of fundamental principles that you should have a basic grasp on so that you then can keep moving forward. And one of those is the doctrine of baptism. And notice this. He says, if we can get these six, including the doctrine of baptisms, then he says, then we can keep moving forward. Notice, if God permits. Well, here's another question. Is it possible then that there are Christians that love Jesus with all of their heart? I mean, they're moral people, and they want to live, you know, moral lives, and they're going to heaven one day, but God can't permit them to move forward into the fuller experience of their Christian life, and that includes blessings, and and that includes opportunities, and, and that includes leaving legacies. God can't permit them to move forward in their life because they haven't got the foundations. That would be like social promotion, right? This guy didn't even know his ABCs, but come on, he's the biggest guy in the class. He doesn't fit in the desk anymore. Let's just move him to first grade. And first grade to second grade, third grade, and finally he's in the seventh grade, and he can't spell his own name. This happens. But God says it doesn't happen in the kingdom. There's no social promotion in the kingdom. You don't have to be a theologian. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again. But you do have to be able to understand the basics so that you can begin to put those mechanics to work and move forward. And so this verse is telling us that it's possible that the reason we're not able to grow, let me say it this way in a more tangible way, the reason we're not able to experience the fulfillment and the blessing and the confidence and the faith in some area is because we haven't made the decision, let's not be kindergartners, not theologians. Let's not be kindergartners. Let's at least understand some basic stuff. Let's lock in what the Bible says, and then let's begin living that that way. Let me give you another illustration, okay? Because the Bible talks about that our life or the church is like a house. And so I'm not a licensed contractor. I grew up in a house where my dad was kind of a backyard contractor, and we were always doing side jobs. And I can tell you this much, that whenever you do a side job, whether you're just doing a room addition or whether you're kind of laying the framework for a small house or a shed or something, if that required a permit, then before you do anything else, you've got to get the foundation laid and then you've got to get it inspected. And the inspector's going to come out and he's got a number of different metrics and criteria to make sure that foundation is accurate and is solid. And then as you begin to build on it, that foundation's going to hold the weight that it was intended for and this thing's going to last. And if, if everything's right, he'll give you a green tag. And a green tag means move to the next phase of the construction. But if not, he'll give you a red tag and the red tag means stop right where you are. Don't do anything else until you get this right. And the reason he does that, he's not trying to be hard about it. He does that because there's a safety issue. If the foundation is flawed, then it won't hold the weight. And at some point, this is going to fall apart. And Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 3 is telling us that God loves us so much that he's looking at the foundations of our life. And he's wanting to make sure that we have good, solid foundations so that we can continue to build. We can make wise decisions. 
We can see things that are just a little off and make sure that we're following the Lord and following the Holy Spirit. It's not all inspiration, it's information. And not everybody likes that, but Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says that our life is literally transformed as our mind is renewed to the Word of God. It's information. And then it's understanding how to put that into application, and that will bring life change or will bring transformation. And this is what the author is trying to tell us. This is really, really, really important. And one of the foundations of area uh, of these areas is the doctrine of baptisms. So today we're going to look at what are these baptisms, plural? What does that mean in Scripture? And why are they so important that the Bible says that as a Christian, it's possible that if you're not understanding the doctrine of baptisms and you're not stepping in and learning and participating in the doctrine of baptisms, it's possible that as much as God loves you and as much as he has this great plan, you kind of got red flagged or red tagged and you're going to stop right here until you're willing to move out into the others. So let's kind of look at what these are. Now, before we look at the three baptisms, we have to make sure we're all understanding and on the same page about what the New Testament considers a baptism and why the doctrine of baptism is so important. Sounds super like, you know, theological, but it, it's really not that complicated. But, but once we understand it, then we can look at each of these three and they'll all make sense. And we can measure our life and say, okay, have we, have we stepped into that? Are we laying foundations there? Or do we have some things that we need to catch up and we need to work on? First of all, the word baptism here, it comes from the root word in the, in the Greek, baptismal. And the reason that's important because it literally means to immerse or to submerge. And when it's talking about spiritual things, it's talking about someone who ha who's been immersed or, or completely submerged, or let me say it this way, somebody who's completely bought in. Someone who's completely entered into something, been moved into something, that's what the baptism means. Now, some of the translations will use a little bit of it, and, and they'll talk about washings, and, and they'll, they'll translate the Greek term there, the actual verb cleansings or washings, but, but this is kind of a clash of the cultures that are coming together as the Old Testament gave way to the New Testament and in the Old Testament, they had all these rituals, right, where things had to be washed with water and sprinkled and, and, and cleansed ceremonially. But all of that was taken care of when Jesus died on the cross. And his blood now does all of that washing, all of that cleansing, all of that sprinkling for us. And so scholars will agree that these are just transitional terms, but it doesn't take away from what the Bible's teaching us. There is a doctrine of total immersion. There's a doctrine of, man, you've totally bought in. You're not just being rinsed clean, like periodically, but you bought in and you're being totally submerged or saturated into something, and so that's really important. In fact, whenever you say baptism, most Christians think of water baptism, and that's kind of a good thing, by the way. It's limiting if that's all you think baptism is, but it's a good thing. Because it's a tremendous visual about what baptism literally means uh, on the inside, what, how God really sees baptism. Here's the other thing about baptism that's really important because it applies uh, across the board in all the baptisms in the New Testament. Every baptism has three essential components. Three essential components, right? There's the baptizer. That's the one who's standing usually helping somebody to be submerged. And we think of water. That applies. There's the baptizee, someone who's being baptized, who's going to be put down under the water, and then there's whatever they're baptized into. 
in water baptism that happens to be water, right? So let me kind of say it one more time in case you missed it. When it comes to a water baptism, again, usually it's a pastor, a baptist. Yeah, here's a picture of Spencer and his son Carter, okay? So Spencer's our worship pastor. Usually it's a pastor. He's the baptizer, and then his little son Carter is the baptizee. This is when he got baptized right here in this sanctuary. And if you'll notice, you can see the water in the tank. Carter's about to be submerged or immersed or totally bought in and committed. He's going underwater and coming back up. Every baptism has to have three components. And you can look for them in the New Testament. You can say, who's doing the baptizing? Who's the one getting baptized? And what are they getting baptized in? All right, so that works in water baptism, but broaden the principle and see this is how every baptism in the New Testament is, is, uh, is defined. All right, so this is really, really important. Now, once you understand that, then you, we can come back and say, well, but he says the doctrine of baptisms. What's the doctrine? That sounds like super theological again, and that just kind of throws me off. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I think we covered that last week. Theonoustos literally came out of God's mouth. He said it. His breath is on it. His essence is on it. It came from his heart. This, this is him speaking. It says, by given by inspiration of God, notice this, and is profitable. Script, scriptures are profitable. I've had people say, I read my Bible, it just doesn't seem like it does anything. Well, if you read it right, if you read it with an open heart, saying, Holy Spirit, talk to me here, Every, all scripture is profitable. It profits us greatly. But I want you to notice this. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's growing. That's maturing. God's word is provided so that, we, so that we can understand how to grow and we can become bigger and more mature and more understanding and have more discipline to apply so that every good work, so that God can keep moving us along in his plan and we could experience this incredibly fulfilling life. But if we don't get out of kindergarten, how many of you know God can't keep graduating us to every good work? We have, to, we have to be able to do that. And I want you to notice the word of God, first and foremost, is profitable for doctrine. Well, this particular word doctrine uh, refers to teaching or instruction that forms a belief system. So it's maybe a, a truth or a couple of truths linked together. You're like, oh, that's how that works. Oh, I can see now how that perspective, I can see the principle of how God wants us to live. And, and so that would be a doctrine when you have a set of truths that are all connected together and that forms your perspective or your basis for how you live. By the way, every one of you in here have a doctrine that you're living by. It might not be a doctrine in scripture. Maybe it's a doctrine and you might say it like this, well, that's just how I grew up. Okay, well, you've got a belief system. You've got something that's locked in, and when somebody says something, you're like, no, I, I don't know if that's true or not, because you've got a set of beliefs that have been stacked up in your mind, and that, those beliefs are what's leading your life. But I want you to notice what 2 Timothy 3 says again. It says that the scriptures are completely inspired by God, and they're what profits us, they're what helps us, first and foremost, to form doctrine. Because if you don't have a right belief system, everything else in that list, reproof, correction, instruction, all that stuff is skewed. 
You, you got a whole wrong framework. But if you come back and build your framework on the, what the Word of God says, not a theologian, but understanding some basic elementary truths, if you begin building the foundation of your life, well, all I know is I'm going to do what the Bible says. Then you're going to build a really strong doctrine, and from there, every other adjustment, every sharpening, every move you know, in one direction or the other, every surge forward is going to be right down the money because you've got good, solid belief systems. But get your belief system messed up. And everything else is going to be skewed. And that's why you see all over the New Testament, over and over and over again, especially when Paul is coaching young Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he's constantly saying, watch the doctrine, watch the doctrine, watch the doctrine, make sure you got sound doctrine, make sure you're leaning on the doctrine. In fact, it says when we get into the last days, one of the signals, one of the things we're going to see in the last days is Christians will no longer have an appetite for sound doctrine. And I wonder what the Bible says. Ah, just, I, listen, I, I got to just tell you, you know, I, I just, in my heart, I, I just feel like, well, that's great. But you don't know if your heart's feeling the right thing or feeling the wrong thing unless you have a solid belief system. You know that's true, right? Sometimes you, your heart or your emotions want to do something and you're talking to yourself, ah, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Where'd you get that from? Because we know that our feelings and things that inspire us and our motivations are not always the right things. And we have to come back and ground it in, in a set of beliefs that the Bible gives us. Our flesh does not want to do what God wants to do most of the time. It's not that we want to violate that. We're just a little bit lazy or a little bit tired or that's not really fun. And, and so we'll fudge those lines all the time. We need a belief system that is helping us to move forward and stay inside the line. And this is exactly what the Bible's talking about. So when it comes to all this, the Bible's saying that there are a set, that there's, a, there's a belief system that has to include baptisms, plural. It has to include a set of commitments that you fully bought into and you've allowed the Lord to immerse you into a belief, into something special. And the Bible says there's three of them. Now, it's going to be easy for you to see the first one because the first one is kind of the one that we're, we've been taught on the most. So I'm on page 34 now in your workbook if you want to follow. And these are the three baptisms. Now that you understand the components of baptisms, right? There's a baptizer. There's someone who's being baptized and you're being baptized or submerged into something. And then there's a doctrine, there's a belief system that helps us to understand all of that. The first one then is easy to understand. Everybody will go, yeah, absolutely. It's the baptism into the body of Christ. We probably didn't think about this as a baptism because we just call it salvation. We call it being born again. We call it the new birth. Or if you really want to get technical, it's the baptism, listen to this, of the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's termed like that is because what literally happens when we accept Jesus as Lord is the Holy Spirit becomes the baptizer. And we become the baptizee, and the Holy Spirit immerses us or plunges us, takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, and plunges us down in through the blood of Christ, and we are born into the family of God. That's complete buy-in. 
That, that's not a halfway thing. Well, progressively, we're going to get better and eventually we'll be totally saved. No, it's a one-time decision and we go inside of the, of, of the forgiveness of Christ and we come out the other side, completely new creation. That's what the Bible tells us. And the Holy Spirit's the one that does that. And, and the reason we know that is because, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, for by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we, talking about each of us as believers, were all baptized into one body, and that's the body of Christ. That's, that, that's the church. That's the family of God. And so it's using that term baptized. Again, don't think about water stuff. Think about when we accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit took us out of darkness, out from underneath the rule of the enemy of Satan, and the Bible says that he moved us in through the blood, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and we came out the other side, brand new little babies in the kingdom of God. Here's what's interesting, that many Christians don't even kind of connect the dots. Before we were saved... We were a part of the universal human race on the earth, and all of us were God's creation. But once we get born again, we're not just God's creation, now we're God's children. But I hear people say all the time, you know, people that don't, that don't even serve God, you know, well, we're all God's children. No, no, we're not. Not according to the New Testament. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. But we're not all God's children until we've been born into the family of God. That's literally what it means. It's legitimate. Whenever we get born again, the heavenly father comes out and says, look at my brand new baby. And there's a brand new citizen added to heaven's role. We, the, the city of, of heaven just grew by one because we were born, we're official citizens now. But prior to that, we were God's creation born into sin. And unless we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not our heavenly father. You can call him that if you want to. And that might be an endearing term, might make you feel really special. But listen, it's important. He's not your heavenly father and therefore doesn't have any of the fatherly privileges that he would have if it's his own children. Hebrews chapter 12 says, when he's your father, then he gets to not only bless you and provide for you and care for you and protect you, but he gets to encourage and sometimes correct, sometimes give you a swat if he's got to get your attention to reprove you. And the Bible says all that is part of being a father, but let, just like you're out and you see other kids that are running around, unless they're your kids, you don't get to say anything. You might think it, I wish their parents would say something to them, but you don't get to say anything because you don't have the parental right. If we don't give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ so the Holy Spirit can take us out of darkness and move us into the kingdom of God so that we're literally born into that, we're immersed into the family of God, if that doesn't happen, then, then God is not our heavenly father. He wants to be. He has so much he wants to give us, but he doesn't have that privilege. And neither do we really have the privilege of talking to him as if he's the father. Again, that's, that's endearing. That might try to be respectful and reverent, but the Bible's really clear. The first fundamental thing that you have to understand and has to happen is you literally got to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ so the Holy Spirit can take you out of darkness and submerge you into the body of Christ. Pardon me if this is a little too graphic, but you literally go through the spiritual birth canal and you come out the other side and you are literally born again. First time was from your mother, which put you on the earth. Second time is born of the Holy Spirit and that puts you in the family of God. And you're forever God's child. 
And this is really important. See, that's a fundamental basic for us to understand. And if we can understand like that, you can sort out a whole bunch of different stuff. You don't get all confused, you know, with the, hey, we are the world and we all love. No, no, we're, we're not. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a whole different set of gauges, whole different set of promises that belong to us. And we can lean into those because this is legitimately our heavenly father. We bear his name. And then we represent him back to a world. This is fundamental. It's really important. Well, that's easy to understand. We can all understand that. And the Bible says, listen, that's all you need, by the way. If you've been born into the family of God, if you're legitimately one of his sons or daughters, if he's legitimately your family, listen, that's all you need to get to heaven. But that's not all you need to grow up. Not all you need to experience everything God has because Hebrews chapter six is telling us there's two more baptisms you have to contemplate and step into. The second one is the baptism in water. We would just say water baptism. And again, this is really easy, but some people try to put them together so closely that they they think that water baptism is connected to or associated with, uh, with the new birth or with the baptism of the Holy Spirit being born again, and it's not. They're completely separate. So if you on your deathbed confess the Lord Jesus, you can be saved marvelously, but you didn't have time to get to, to, to get water baptized because you whispered his name and accepted him and the next breath you were in eternity. Listen, you're not discounted. You can go to heaven that way. But if you want to grow up, then you have to then, then step into water, uh, water baptism. And the reason this is important when you understand the beliefs in the Bible, because as someone who now is born into the kingdom of God, baptized of the Holy Spirit or baptized into the family of God, your first opportunity for obedience is to follow the instruction of scripture and say, I want to publicly announce that Jesus is now the Lord of my life. And that comes through a water baptism. And page 35 Uh, And your workbook talks about the symbolism of this baptism. It's incredibly symbolic. Whenever we watch people, it's not just them, you know, getting dunked and then getting all wet and coming up and smiling and just being happy it's all over. You know, it's not about that. It, It really is a representation. It's like an illustrated sermon that we are saying, we're gonna walk through this illustration believing that that's exactly what's happening to our life. Just as Christ died and was buried in the earth, we get put underwater and for a moment we disappear. We're down underneath the water. It's like a a water burial. We're down underneath the water. But then just like Christ rose back up alive forevermore, when we come out of the water, it's an illustration and a declaration that the old us, the one who we called all the shots and we made all the decisions, that died in the water that stayed buried at sea, if you will, And the new us stood up and said, from this point on, we are alive in Christ and we will serve Jesus as the Lord of our life. And that's what it declares. And it's a hugely important step that we understand that, not just that we got wet, but that we understand what we're doing. This is part of the baptism. It's a fundamental that we've made a heart decision that we're not just wanting to go to heaven, but we're all in in our commitment to and our service to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And we get it. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. Now we belong to him. We're under his leadership. 
We're under his tutelage and he'll grow and shape and mature us. And that's what water baptism really means. That's why you see people that might have been born, uh, born again for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and they want to get water baptized again. Do they have to do that? No. But they do that because they feel like the Lord's doing something fresh in my life. The Lord's doing something new in my life. And I want to go and I want to declare to him all over again that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I'm following him for the, in, in this next season. Listen, that's a legitimate thing. You don't have to get born again more than once. And you don't have to do water baptism more than once. But you can. You can repeat that over and over again. Just like you can rededicate your life to the Lord. You can't get born twice, but you can rededicate your commitment to him as your heavenly father, as the Lord of your life. And you can rededicate yourself in, in water baptism saying, not only am I going to heaven, I'm going to actually live for the Lord. I want you to know that I want you to instruct and move my life along. This is water baptism. In fact, listen to what Matthew 28 says. Matthew 28, verse 19, this is the resurrected Jesus speaking. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, listen to this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This particular baptism in that context means once they get born again, then lead them into that first act of obedience and make sure they completely submerge their life and they come up and say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Part of being a disciple is not just, I got born again, check, I'm done. Part of being a disciple is moving past elementary principles and saying, no, I, I want to grow up and be everything that God's called me to be. Now, let me just stop right here because you do have some people that are saying, wait, 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 Pastor Gill. Okay, so uh, you're saying that born again, that's baptism of the Spirit or baptism into the body of Christ. And we already read that in 1 Corinthians. And now you're saying that there's water baptism. That's a separate act. And that's kind of the next step where we're publicly saying Jesus is the Lord. And, and, and so that, that's a second thing. And, but wait, 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 wait. You're forgetting what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you recall to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, here it is, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and you and, and in you all. And some people say, see, see, so what do you do with that? Because the Bible says right there, there's one baptism. You know what the problem is? The problem is that whoever says that, even they believe in at least two. They just don't call them baptisms. But the Bible does. They believe that you have to get born again, and then you should get water baptized. They don't believe that you can get water baptized, and that makes you born again. They know better. So they think, no, 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 you get saved, and then one baptism, baptism in water, even they believe in two baptisms. But in this particular context, it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about that initial baptism into the body of Christ. In fact, Ephesians 4 is going to go on and talk about growing up and finding your place in the body. Not just attending church and enjoying it, but saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm a functioning part of this body. Where do I plug in? How do I use my gifts? Because that's all part of the growing process. And in order to do that, all you need to do is be saved. All you really need to do is get born again. Once you're born into the family, well, you're a legitimate part of the family member, and now you're qualified to contribute. 
And that's exactly what this is saying is, so Ephesians chapter four, verse five is saying, nope, it's just salvation gets you into the body of Christ. And that's what it's talking about. One body, one Lord, one baptism to get into Christ's body. That's salvation. And then after that, if you want to grow up, then you're going to need to understand two more baptisms. And we've covered the second one, baptism in water. Here's baptism number three. And, uh, and this is where we'll begin to bring it to a close. Baptism number three is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because the first one was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you can picture in your mind, the Holy Spirit is the pastor. He's baptizing. And then the baptizee is you. And he's baptizing you or he's immersing you into the forgiveness of Jesus or the blood of Christ that paid for our redemption. And you're going through the spiritual birth canal and you come out the other side. You were an old creature in Christ. Now you're a brand new creation in Jesus. No longer subject to the rulership of the world. You're not in the family of darkness anymore. You're not just a creation of God. Now you are a child of God. And that's the Holy Spirit who does that. But now this baptism's different. This is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Like if I say baptism in water, this is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see on this occasion, Jesus is the pastor. And Jesus takes you and he baptizes you uh, into the power and the fellowship, the relationship, a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that in Scripture in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, verse 11. Listen to this. This is John the Baptist now talking to the crowd that he was preaching to. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Okay, there's water baptism. And John couldn't preach salvation because Jesus hadn't died. So he just preached, hey, if you believe that that, uh, that you know, God is the God of, 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 of the Bible, that God, God is the one supreme God, and, and you believe that a Messiah is coming, then you get baptized and you acknowledge that. But that's an Old Testament, not complete. And so John baptized in water, he said, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not willing to carry. Notice this, he, that's speaking of Jesus, will baptize you, that's speaking of people that believed and bought in with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when Jesus is the baptizer, when he's the pastor, he's going to submerge us into something totally different. The Holy Spirit submerged us into the forgiveness of Jesus so we could be part of God's family. Then we were submerged by a pastor in water as a, as a declaration that Jesus is our Lord. And now there's one more baptism the New Testament talks about. And that baptism is our willingness to allow Jesus to baptize or immerse us in the power of the Holy Spirit so that our life can be energized, our life can be empowered from a supernatural source, not just from our own capacity. And this is really important that we see this. And this is what Hebrews was talking about. God wants to move you on. But there's some things he can't move you on because even on your best day, you don't have the ability, you don't have the capacity, the intellect, the resource, the influence, whatever else that you would constitute, you don't have that to be able to move you into something different. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not willing to be immersed in that and to be baptized into that, then the Bible says that God can't permit you to move forward. This is him. This is why, by the way, we've, we've looked at over and over and over again, Jesus commanded his disciples, whatever you do, 
Don't do anything until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because once you are, then you could become bright lights, full witnesses of me everywhere you go, starting in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then Samaria, and no matter where you go, you can demonstrate that you are an ambassador of the kingdom, you are energized by a supernatural power of a living God. But he said, listen, don't do anything until you get that third baptism because they'd already been saved. They'd already been baptized in water. He said, yeah, you got one more to go. Don't do anything until you do that. Jesus was adamant about that. And now here we find out again that even John talked about it. He said, this is what Jesus is going to do. Well, we know that actually happened because in Acts chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, we see that it was described that, that this actually was fulfilled, that Jesus actually did what he promised he would do because we hear in Acts 2, verse 3 says, and then there appeared to them, these are 120 believers in an upper room. Jesus commanded them to be there. They're in an upper room and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And Acts chapter 2, verse 3 says, there appeared to them divided tongues. Notice, as of fire, it wasn't fire, Okay, there, there wasn't fire running around. Nobody's hair was smoldering. Nobody lost their eyebrows that day. Okay, this was as of fire. It was a glow. It was an energy. It was a, it was a light. As of fire and sat upon notice, each of them, every single one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now again, th this is really, really important because we've now identified at least one place in each of these in Scripture where we've got three different baptisms, and when you put all that together and you understand what a baptism means in the New Testament, you now have a doctrine, a belief system of baptisms. It's not just about water. It's not just about going to heaven or not going to heaven. It's not even just about being empowered. It's about allowing God to immerse you or to, sum to submerge your life, to be totally bought in to whatever that particular baptism is, that immersion is, so that you can receive what you need to receive, so that you can move on. And the Bible says there's at least three of them. In 1 Corinthians 12, we already looked at the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. And then in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist said, I'm baptizing you guys in water right now, but when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And, 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 uh, and, and that's, a, that's a very clean observation. In fact, in your book, in your appendix one back there, I didn't want you just to have to go on a couple little samples, like the chicken on a you know, little piece of chicken on the toothpick, saying, hey, try this, and I wanted you to kind of be able to eat. We don't have time to do all that in service, so in an appendix one, you're gonna see just a walk through the New Testament. It's not exhaustive, but you're gonna see over and over and over again in the same passage, in the same event, in the same uh, scenario that all three baptisms were taking place. And there was one that happened in Ephesus where they got the first two and the apostle came and said, hey, what about the third one? We didn't even know there was a third one. Well, let me tell you about it. And so he told them about this. They said, oh yeah, we're totally in. And they got baptized in the third one and God was able to take them to the next level. You're gonna see the pattern over and over. It's undeniable. It's super, super clear. And it doesn't have to be weird or mystical because it's not about, again, any of the stuff. It's about your heart surrendering one level, then the next level, and then the final level to say, listen, I'm totally bought into this. I, I wanna be totally bought into the family of God and I wanna be living in the family member the Lord says. Let me, I saved one more scripture to the end because this is probably the most convincing or the one that packages it all together for us to really understand. And uh, so let me just give you this. This is on page 38, by the way, of your workbook when it talks about three witnesses in heaven and earth. 
Again, there's a lot of examples, Old Testament and New Testament, and you've got a bunch of them in your appendix, but listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, and this is where we end it this morning. He says, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, that's Jesus. Remember John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and He was God. He was with God, and He was God. And then, so the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and listen, and these three are one. Now, if we just stop right there, how many of you would nod your head and say, yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many of you would agree there are three that are in heaven, and those three come into agreement, and they sign off, and they nod, yeah, no, we're all in agreement. No, that, th- this is the next thing. That's the right thing. How many of you believe that? Let me see. Come on, you can commit yourself. Not a trick question. Again, this is elementary stuff, right? How many of you believe one plus one is two? Not scary. Even according to the new math, still not scary, all right? This is, this is real. This is how it works. So we see in the Bible, he says, he starts off and he establishes something that we're confident in. There's three that bear witness in heaven. Three are signing off on this. There's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But watch this, he goes on. He says, and... There are three that bear witness on earth. The spirit, that's baptism in the spirit. The water, that's baptism in water. And the blood, that's baptism into the body of Christ or salvation through Christ's blood. And notice this, and these three agree as one. In other words, the heavenly father, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are watching from heaven like, like inspectors, not like legalistic, like do everything right, and, but they're just saying, okay, do they have the foundations? Because we really want to move them on. And they're all kind of looking and checking off and saying, yeah, 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 I, I think they're ready. I think they're ready. Okay, and they agree. And when they all agree, we get to move. But it's not just them that are in agreement. There's things in our life that are speaking things in our life that are making declarations and we have to bring those things into agreement. And so here's the things and it goes in reverse order because we're we're going in maturity. But if we brought it back to the fundamentals and the basic, we would say, here's three things. First of all, have you been baptized by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you saved? And your answer should be, yeah, check that box, man. I am. I know I'm not perfect. I'm still growing. But man, I gave my life to Jesus and I believe he is who he says he is. He's the Lord. He resurrected from the dead. I'm going to heaven one day. Awesome. That's wonderful. Okay, here, let, me, let me ask you a second question. Have you been baptized in water? Well, you know, it's just kind of getting wet. And No, 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 it's not. It's not. It's an opportunity for you to say, I want, I want everybody to understand, and starting with myself, that when I got saved, I know that my life died my, my life before Christ died and I came up a brand new creature. I'm on a whole new ball game now. I don't get to be the Lord of my life anymore. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I'm completely bought into the kingdom. Have you done that? Okay, well now you explain that. Yeah, I, I don't know if I really put all that together, but I did do that. And that's what I believe. Okay, good. And here's the third one. Have you completely immersed your life? Have you allowed your life to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit so that he can empower you? Ah, it's just, but is this really weird? I know that's what we're talking about. So you don't have to think it's weird anymore. So you can understand the person of the Holy Spirit and you can understand what this power thing's really all about and how desperate you know that you need it because even in our natural life, we're desperate for this. 
And once you begin to understand that, then you just get to make the simple decision. It's not confusing anymore. It's not scary anymore. It's, we can see it in the Bible. You get to make the decision, okay, are you willing to surrender to it or not? It's the same as when you made a decision to get born again. Once you realize who Jesus was, you had to make the decision, okay, but am I going to surrender or not? It's the same as when you got water baptized. Yeah, but I'm going to get all wet and be standing in front of people. It's kind of weird. And, but you have to make the decision. Yeah, but am I, am I willing to publicly humble myself and, real, and help everybody to understand, no, no, Jesus is the Lord. I'm going to live for him from now on. And you have to make the same decision. Am I willing to submit myself so that I can be submerged into the power of the Holy Spirit so that he can help me to be everything that God wants me to be. And that's a decision we all have to make. So let me start with the question we, they are end with the question we started with. When's the last time that you've experienced real transformation and change? I mean, like God did something amazing in your life. Maybe nobody else noticed it, but you did. You're not wrestling with that stuff anymore. All of a sudden you're cleaner. You're more confident. You're focused. You know exactly. You have a conviction, a, a, a concreteness in your heart about what the Lord's saying and what he wants you to do. And you're kind of on a mission. When's the last time that happened? Because if you're just going from week to week, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of hope and a little bit of happiness and what makes me happy. And I, I think I can get through this week. Uh, that's great. Okay. You're, you're preschoolers and I, I don't mean that derogatory, but you'll go to heaven. But God says, come on, don't, don't you want to grow up? Don't you be able, want to be able to walk and put your feet solidly and just march in the promises and the principles of God and watch God come and do victorious things? When's the last time you really experienced that? And you could say, I got a testimony for you. And that's a rhetorical question, but listen to me, it's really important because if you can't remember the last time, then perhaps you might want to ask yourself the question, I wonder if it's not just me or just circumstances. I wonder if I'm not paying attention to the fundamental things. And if perhaps as much as the Heavenly Father loves me, He just he can't graduate me. He can't let me move forward. But if I'll surrender to that, don't have to be a theologian. I'll surrender to that, then God will say, man, I'm so happy. Here's your graduation present, and here's your gown, and here's your cap, and we're going to celebrate because I got a big plan for you, and I'm telling you, stuff begins to happen, and God begins to move you forward in your life because you surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday night, don't miss next Sunday morning because then we're going to get into what happens when you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about tongues, and I've already promised you, you won't feel awkward. I'm just going to explain it and help you to see some things in scripture. And I'm, I'm super confident because we've, we've been down this road a bunch. I'm super confident when you begin to see what it is and what it isn't in scripture, so much of your fear is just going to drop away and you're going to be like, okay, well, if that's what it is. I'm in. So we're going to talk about next Sunday morning. And we put, we put the next part on Sunday night because if you feel like you know, I, I, I really want that, or I don't know if I'm completely sold yet, then you get to come on Sunday night and you can still sit. And never going to be awkward. We're going to talk about a few more details about how you actually receive and experience this. If you, like Pastor uh, Spencer said, if you already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it, it's just not as satisfying. It's like we're talking about all this power. I don't feel that. We're going we're to share, I'm going to share a few insights with you that'll really help from Scripture really help you to say, okay, now I know how to flip that switch and get that power back up here. So next Sunday night, make a plan. I know it'll kind of be a day, but listen to me, it's an investment. I'm telling you, it's an investment so we can graduate some people and move them onto the next level because God's moving and God has a big plan for us. Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. 
Thank you for just spelling it out so clear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the teacher. And I've tried my best to lay it out here, but Lord, fill in all the gaps. Anything that might have been confusing or, or not clearly laid out, Lord, you speak to them. Holy Spirit, you walk them into the truth. Clear away every fear, every clutter, every confusion, and just let them feel your tender nudge. Let them hear your small voice saying, come on, trust me. Come on, just move in. And Lord, as we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in this church, in the lives of individuals, I pray in the name of Jesus that signs and wonders and miraculous things would begin to happen in all of our lives and in the middle of this church according to your promise, according to your word. We trust you with this. We're leaning in in Jesus' name. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.